And now we turn to our first guest, Alexa Aviles, Democratic Socialist City Council member whose South Brooklyn district encompasses Red Hook, Sunset Park, Greenwood, and parts of Windsor, Paris, Diker Heights, and Borough Park. She's right in the middle of a bunch of issues we want to catch up on, including the latest from Puerto Rico, the city's response to the influx of migrants from border states, and the latest disturbing news from the New York City Housing Authority, which she oversees as chair of the City Council's Committee on NYCHA. Alexa, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, John. Great to be here. Yes. So we wanted to start with uh, Puerto Rico. There was a rally yesterday at Foley Square uh, on behalf of the island. Uh, the Indies, Katie Pruden was there. Let's listen along and then we'll get your response. <laughs> to start the companies that are making money and profit off of disaster and those are the same company in black communities in this country Quanta, the company that owns luma is also here in the united states and we need to start mapping that and we need to give us a deadline november is the date where that contract cannot be renovated we need to remove the veil luma is the name they use in puerto rico but the real name is Quanta and there's an office here in New York. Right here. I have, um, I was born here in New York, but I have family in Manatee and in Isla Verde. Um, it took quite a bit of time for us to hear back from family from Manatee and it was definitely like a nerve-wracking week for me. I didn't get to hear back until Thursday. Um, there's flooding, um, there's damage to the home and I think ultimately like what needs to happen isn't just awareness, but just understanding Puerto Rico's colonial status in the United States. That was a Bariqua drummer who played for much of the rally, one of the rally's speakers, and then lastly, a protester who attended the rally. And the music gets a bit loud towards the end of the last clip, but the protester finishes off by saying, as long as Puerto Rico is a colony, Puerto Rico will not get necessary funding for infrastructure. Puerto Rico will not get the necessary leadership to take care of its people. So on that note, Councilmember Alex Aviles, what is your response to what the protesters had to say? And also, what are you hearing from family and friends on the island about the conditions there? Thank you so much, Amba. I was there yesterday with those protesters. So oh, thank you. Thank you for your coverage. Um, obviously, 100% agree. What we're seeing is colonialism at its finest. And what you also heard on that clip is disaster colonialism at its finest. Both, mm -hmm. both things we have been experiencing for a very, very long time. And Huracan Maria, uh, that happened really five years almost to the day of, of Fiona hitting the island, uh, really brought to bear all the situation, how colonialism shows up just everywhere in our lives. Um, you know, recovery was for American corporations, not for the Puerto Rican people. And, and what we were particularly demanding at that rally yesterday was FEMA decided that it would pick and choose municipalities that would be covered. Um, and I said, how very colonial of them to decide who gets aid and who doesn't 
right? When the whole island has never even recovered from the beginning uh, from Hurricane Maria and the fiscal crisis, which again is a whole other story we could talk about. Um, so we're demanding full coverage of the island. Um, and we've talked with, we, we wrote a letter at the city council level to ask for a waiver of the Jones Act, which, you know, we need, we need um, diesel fuel on the island and only American ships can come into our ports. Uh, another colonial relic uh, that the people of Puerto Rico pay for on a daily basis. We pay more for goods and services because things have to come in on American ships. Um, so the letter asks for a waiver for this humanitarian crisis right now, but it needs to go. The Jones Act needs to end. Right. And what, what are you hearing from the island? You grew up in uh, Bayamon. Uh, are, are you in touch with uh, family and friends there or elsewhere? On yes. The yes. So thankfully, uh, my family is OK. Um, you know, everyone is on edge um, because the water and electricity are on and off. We hear the numbers. This, man, this many people were restored. But the truth of the matter is that it's not permanent restoration. It may be on for two hours and then it's off for four hours. And this has been the state of affairs for Puerto Ricans since Huracan Maria, right? The island actually didn't have power for almost a year, a good portion of the island. Could you imagine right. that happening here? People lose right. their minds. Right. So, um, you know, it's up at the southern parts of the island, right? Flooding, massive landslides. Um, there was some improvement because people were a little bit more prepared for possibilities. But in mass, our island and our people are traumatized and truly need a very different recovery that centers them. And, uh, you know, the island's natural resource. We need not be an island that is investing in fossil fuel infrastructure. We have to have renewable energies that are grounded in community. Right. And we also want to uh, pivot to another uh, community that's in need, which is uh, the, the migrants uh, that have been uh, bussed into New York uh, Port Authority in massive numbers uh, over the uh, last few months, uh, border states by Republican governors. At, first of all, uh, I understand uh, there's a, a site uh, being set up in, in your district uh, for some of the asylum seekers. You got to visit that yesterday. Uh, can you yes. tell us uh, what you saw? Yeah, we do. We do have a site in our district. Um, and, you know, we have been advocating furiously you know, whether it's uh, our shelter residents who are in shelter um, or asylee residents that everyone be treated with dignity and have access to what they need. We know that hotel sites are not appropriate shelter for families or for anyone, certainly not in the long term. And we see, you know, people are staying in shelter for long, longer and longer periods of time. So, you know what, it's a... Um, it's it's not a great situation. It is a shelter. And, you know, I think it's many people are really grateful to have a bed that is safe where they can be with their children. Um, but it is not a long term solution. So I am proud that our our local government is extending that hand and welcoming uh, other humans. Right. Really trying to extend um 
sanctuary and support, but we have a long way to go. We are not prepared to provide the full scale of services that people need, right? For everything from food, which very much looks like a kind of a school lunch, which any New York City child will tell you, yuck. <laughs> no, thank mm. you. Um, right. To like, you know, what are the services that we have locally that really can support language access, right? It was a very bumpy road uh, in the first couple of weeks for that facility. Didn't have language access, didn't have, you know, it wasn't up and running. The city is scaling up very quickly to try to receive the numbers of people that are coming in. Um, So that has not been without pain, but ultimately, you know, hotel spaces are not shelter, long-term shelter. And what are your overall thoughts on how the Adams administration in the city has been responding to this influx? And and what are your comments on the uh, proposal of, I think it's no longer on the table, but the proposal of having the migrants out on cruise ships um, and then now with the suggestion of a tent city in the Orchard Beach parking lot in the Bronx? Yeah, I'm mortified by either of those things, right? I always think about these things about like, where would I want a family member to be in an orchard parking lot or on a cruise ship is doesn't feel like an acceptable response for a city with as much resources um, at its disposal as we have. So I understand the situation is unprecedented, right? And folks are coming in. Uh, there is a constant flow. I think we're well over 10,000 individuals at this point with many school-aged children. Look, I think we have to continue to receive people with dignity and do our best to respond. I think the state and the federal government has to help New York City. Um, you know, I, it is a huge uh what are you, scaling up of services that we're doing here. Um, and, and folks are to capacity. We know our human service sectors was to capacity before and pretty underwater, even prior to them. So we've got to get the money on the ground to people who will be engaging with the asylees in communities. And our state and federal partners have to really jump in wholeheartedly. And the, the rest of the state also has to support you know, adequate relocation and sheltering of, of folks that come here. Right. And now uh, there are, of course, people uh, who see uh, the migrants as, if not a threat, at least as a, a, a drain on resources or a threat to jobs. And uh, this you know view is not only shared, I think, among like the white MAGA types in places like Texas and Florida, but it, it gets some traction in immigrant communities as well. How how do you address that uh, kind of uh, primal concern about scarcity of jobs, resources, et cetera? Yeah, thank you, thank you. It is true, and it 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 breaks my heart, right? Because we, I you know, I I think many people do that, right? Our communities do that as well, and so I remind everyone that every last human deserves dignity. And that we are in a very wealthy city, right? We are in a city with an abundance of resources. And this is a matter of allocation. It's a matter of being creative. And it we shouldn't have to be choosing whether it's you know a longtime resident or new arrival, right? We are a welcoming city. We can do both. So it can be an and situation. And it's hard and folks are scared of change, right? But I think the more that we can... Um, really support like this collective understanding of both our present and our future, 
the better we'll be for it. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And we're always going to get the us them. And sadly, the, you know, the politics will play out that way. And I think the fear mongers will continue to press those messages, right, that really kind of trigger bad behavior. Um, So I think, you know, I'm just going to be a counterweight and continue to remind we are a city with a hundred billion dollar budget, right? Right. We are a resource. We have a government that is has incredible resources. Yes, we have challenges, but we can meet those challenges. I have no doubt. Right, and and, and also, and we're we're talking about uh, scarcity of resources and uh, all all of that. Uh, another area that you're involved with is chair of the uh, city council committee on NYCHA, which of course has been starved for resources for decades. And we just recently learned that the Jacob Reese house is on the Lower East side, uh, the reports of uh, arsenic tainted water. You held a, a hearing last week. Uh, can you give us an update uh, on that situation? And uh, do you see any uh, tie between sort of the way NYCHA is, uh, disinvested in and, and, and Puerto Rico is treated as a colony as well. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. This is all, all part of, you know, what capitalism does to people um, and the systems that it uses, right. To, to not center people, but profit. Um, so it, it truly does connect all these things. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the NYCHA situation is really just another another example of an agency that has, again, been disinvested in, where there is really a lack of oversight and accountability throughout the system. And in some ways, you could see, you know, it is our greatest asset in New York City. It is like, you know, our social housing where low-income people can actually live, right? Despite very well-known challenges for most of New Yorkers, it still has hundreds of thousands of people on a waiting list, uh, both, both because that is the only housing that will keep them here in the city that they love and they built, Um and because they want to be here, right? So I think, you know, this this hearing really just kind of demonstrated the lengths that we have to go, um, the commitment, the full throated commitment that our city, our state, and our federal level governments have to make to public housing. Uh, we can no longer continue to kind of uh, cover, cover the sky with our hand, which I think, you know, some levels of government actually like to do and, and think they're de- being a good partner. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of work to do. And, and what, what the hearings also kind of blossomed was a real problem around contracting and oversight of contracts and how much, you know, work is getting pushed out to contracts and the agency's capacity, right? Doesn't even have sufficient operational capacity to meet its own mandate, right? To make sure that residents get the services and that contractors are providing the services. So the same behavior we're seeing in Puerto Rico, with you know the disaster capitalists we're actually seeing here right in NYCHA and NYCHA developments where these contractors are coming in they get these lucrative contracts no one's holding them to account and the work is in many cases shoddy that doesn't mean there aren't good actors but very much the same behavior okay well we'll have to leave it there for now but this story will continue to follow Uh, Alexa Aviles, City Council member from District 38 in South Brooklyn. Thank you so much for joining us again on WBAI Radio. Thank you both. This is really a joy and a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. We'll be back after a short musical break with our next guest.